0: So this morning, we take up the question, is Jesus really God? And just to give us the starting point here, the historical validity of Jesus of Nazareth, a first-century Jewish rabbi and founder of Christianity, that's not in question. That academics, people throughout the years, they admit there is a Jesus of Nazareth who founded Christianity. The question is rather, what do we make of him? Who is Jesus? And as you saw in that short little clip there, if you went around town or any city in America and you asked, who is Jesus? You would get all sorts of answers to that question, many of which would be built around the idea of Jesus is a great person or a moral leader of some sort. One woman in the more extended version of this said, I don't believe any one person is God, that Jesus was God. All of us, rather, have divinity in us. You'd probably find more than a few people that would answer that way. Whether you would say Jesus was a prophet or just a religious teacher, or even some who probably in here would say Jesus is Savior and God, we still have to ask the question, what do you mean when you say Savior and God? It's what the religious leaders were getting after in John chapter 10, verse 24, when they go to Jesus and they say, hey, look, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. These guys had seen Jesus, had seen what he had done, had heard him, and yet they have to ask, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Savior, can can you just let us know? It's not that easy sometimes, but it is the question that we're asking. Jesus turns it on his own disciples at one point earlier in his career when he said, who do people say that I am? And of course, the disciples respond back famously, oh, he's a rabbi, you're a prophet, John the Baptist risen from the dead, and then Jesus flips it on them says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? So the question is not just what do we make of Jesus, but what do you make of Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And then we have to ask this question, why does it even matter to ask, is Jesus really God? I mean, if you came in here more as an agnostic and you say, well, why why does it matter what I think? If everybody else in here likes Jesus as God, good for them. Can't I just get on with my work life and the fun stuff I do and my family? Here's why I think we need to ask the question and everyone should ask the question. First, because the God question And the why are we here on this earth question is fundamental to humanity. Across cultures, the question of is there a God and why are we here is fundamental to who we are and how we live. It might even be necessary to live. Atul Gawande, a professor and a doctor, wrote a book called Being Mortal. And in the book, he cites the story of a doctor who was assigned to a nursing home the doctor decided to bring in animals into the nursing home, dogs, cats, parakeets, fish. Over the course of the next year, the people in the nursing home began to volunteer to walk the dog. They named the parakeet. They enjoyed the animals. And as a result of doing that, over that year, there was a drop in psychological pharmaceuticals of 38% and a 15% decrease in death rate. The doctor who was assigned to that nursing home said, I believe the difference in death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. Atul Gawande, who was writing about this, said, why does simply existing, being housed and fed and safe and alive, seem empty and meaningless to us? What more is it that we need? And he says, we all seek a cause beyond ourselves. In other words, we can't, not ask the God and meaning question, which is why we need to come to grips with, is Jesus really God? The second reason we need to ask that question, every person should, is because Jesus is, by and large, pretty much inarguably the single most influential person in human history. Aside from the fact that more than a third of the people's, people on earth, of the six billion people on earth, claim him as their God, We can also see that all of Western civilization, which is now a secular civilization, but all of Western civilization, including individual liberty, human rights, the democracy and freedoms that we cling to, they're actually built on Jesus Christ. I could argue from this, but I'm not going to go into it. Luke Ferry, Jurgen Habermas, various others have pointed this out. He is the single most influential person in history. The third reason why we need to ask the is-Jesus-really-God question is that Jesus claimed it for himself, and his followers did too. They claimed that the answer to the God and meaning of life question are found in Jesus. And so it's actually disingenuous and a little sophomoric to dismiss and ignore the Jesus thing and just get on with work and play as if it's okay if some of you believe it. It's also unhelpful if you believe in this stuff to do so blindly without being a critical and thinking Christian. Why do you think Jesus is God? Show it to me. Ultimately, Christianity stands or falls on this very claim. Jesus is God. If he is not, then it's all a ruse. If he is, We all need to take heed. So let's look at the claims of Jesus, the claims made about him, and people's response and see if that's at least a helpful road to start down. So in John chapter 10, Jesus is once again getting himself in trouble. In verse 31 to 33, we read, the Jews, and when John, the gospel writer, says this, he means the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis, the religious leaders picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The religious leaders answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, stoning in that day and age was not a lynch mob move. It was actually judicial execution you have to remember that these are not just the, the, the kind of rabble-rousers in the community. These are not guys who want to pick fights. These aren't just bigoted idiots. These are the religious leaders. They actually had the function of administering and interpreting the law. When there were judges and justice to be executed, they were the judges. When they pick up stones, they're doing so because they are bringing a prosecution against whoever it is that they're picking up stones against. These are legal proceedings that are happening here. And so they bring the accusation, and the accusation is found in verse 33, it's blasphemy. You, a man, make yourself to be God. And they had a case that they could easily build against Jesus for that. Is Jesus really God? Well, listen to what he claims about himself. Jesus, throughout his stories, co opts the imagery and symbolism that was reserved for Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Jewish nation. He says, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. As soon as he says that, every Jewish person listening to him is thinking about manna, how God provided bread in the wilderness, and how Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God to the jew citing bread i am the bread of life is to say i am the one who gave you the bread in the wilderness and i am the very thing you need more than anything else in life. But jesus says i am the light of the world. he's co-opting imagery that's found throughout scripture about jesus about god yahweh being the light of the nations, the light of the world. in isaiah 60 there's a prophecy that one day god would return and right all wrongs and the prophecy says something like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness that covers the earth will be pushed away and all nations will come to the light, the brightness of God dwelling with you. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. A good Jew knew that there was only one creator, only one source of life, the one that Job talked about when he said, I know that my flesh is going to die, but one day in my flesh I shall see God. I shall be raised to life forever, to see Yahweh. And Jesus says, I am the one that Job was talking about. And in John 10, 27 and 28, our passage Jesus co-ops another set of symbols when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. He not only claims to be the one that gets to dole out heaven to people, he's actually co-opting a common theme that described god the god of the old testament as the shepherd of his people some of you have heard of psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want god is seen as the shepherd protecting and providing for his people in isaiah chapter 40 it gets even more explicit in isaiah 40 verse 10 we read that god is going to come as a ruler and a judge and the very next verse says, This God will tend his flock as a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom. This judge and this ruler is a good shepherd. Jesus doesn't just say, I am like a shepherd, he says, I am that good shepherd and everyone who heard him got it. And this is just symbolism and imagery that Jesus is alluding to. There are multiple times when Jesus gets very explicit about who he thinks he is. In John 8:58, Jesus is in an argument with the Jewish religious leaders. He said, "I will br- give life to all who follow me, eternal life. They will never die." And they say, "What are you better, greater than Abraham, our father?" the covenant bringer, he died, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I existed before him, and not only does he say before Abraham existed, I existed, he says before Abraham existed, I am, and of course he's using the Greek translation of the unnamed name of God in the Old Testament. When God reveals himself to Moses, you remember the Yul Brenner version of it, right? He says, I am that I am. Jesus says before Abraham existed 2000 years ago Yahweh and he points to himself. And in John 14:9 Jesus says whoever has seen me has seen the Father. No one sees God, but if you've seen me, you've seen God. And in John 10:30 our own passage here, I and the Father are one. Now, all of this is difficult for us today to to put our hands around, to put our heads around, but in that day and age, it was even harder. Jesus is speaking into a culture of monotheistic Jews who wouldn't even pronounce the name of Yahweh for fear of offending his oneness and greatness. Jesus is stepping on toes. And it's more obvious if you understand the context of what's being said and where it's being said in John chapter 10. See, John chapter 10 takes place, we see this in the first couple verses we read, in the temple at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication, you guys know very well, it's called Hanukkah today. You light eight candles eight days in a row inside of your house. There's a celebration that goes with it, but it goes back to an actual redemptive story They took place about 200 years before Jesus is walking around. Antiochus IV Epiphanes comes in with his army, conquers Israel, conquers Jerusalem, and he desecrates the temple. Now, Antiochus IV was a a pretty self-aggrandizing guy. He went by the self-titled name Epiphanes. Epiphanes means epiphany, manifestation, revelation, They actually have found coins with his face imprinted on it with the Greek phrase, Theos Epiphanes. God manifest. This guy. The guy who thought he was God manifest comes in with his army, desecrates the temple, loots the temple, and the temple was believed to be the dwelling place of Yahweh. It was the holiest site on the face of the earth. It was where God dwelled with his people. They loot that temple. They sacrifice pigs on the altar to Yahweh, and they set up a separate altar to Zeus. And over the next two years, a rebellion is led by Judas Maccabees and eventually drives out Antiochus and his armies. And then they restore the temple and they re-consecrate it. And in that re-consecrating is the feast of dedication of the temple. God is back with us. So it's in that context, standing in the temple, that Jesus is saying these things about I and the Father are one. Do you know what he's saying to those people? And they would have understood it. You don't need this temple to find God. You have me, with you. Emmanuel, God with you. The epiphany is here now. We actually don't have an equivalent for this. The best that I could come up with was this. If somebody broke into a presidential inauguration when the thousands of people are lined up there and they grabbed hold of the mic and they said, hey, All this ceremony is unnecessary. This building behind me, the Capitol, the White House over there, and the judiciary branch that's back over this way, they are unnecessary. I am here now. I am president. I am Congress. I am judge. I am law. I am what all of the past 200 years of all this American enterprise has been about. It's all pointing to me. What happens if somebody tries to do that? they are eliminated very quickly (laughs) because either either they are absolutely mad and need to be locked up or they're incredibly dangerous and need to be put down. This is what Jesus is doing. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, said, throughout his short public career, Jesus acted as if he was in charge. Jesus did things people didn't think you were allowed to do. And he explained them by saying, He had the right to do them. What kind of person claims to be God? Of course, history is actually littered with would-be messiahs and self-proclaimed deities. You know, in the time around Jesus, there were other Jewish messiahs who led rebellions and revolts, thinking that they were God's chosen one to lead Israel into freedom. Every one of them was executed by crucifixion And after their death, their followers disbanded. There are no more religions following them. And of course, there have been divine claims by basically every king and emperor in the ancient world and many in the modern. Every Caesar, from Augustus to Julius to Nero, took on the title of God. The claim to be God is the claim of megalomaniacs and nutjobs. People from Caligula to Charles Manson. Other founders of world religions didn't say what Jesus said. Houston Smith, a religion professor who wrote The World's Religions, a small book you can pick up, identified two people that were the most significant people in religious history in the history of the world. Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, and Jesus. He said, here's why. The Buddha and Jesus were people about whom their contemporaries did not ask, Who are you, but what are you? Only the Buddha and Jesus did people ask, What are you? But Buddha never claimed to be God. He didn't believe in a God, and he would have distanced himself from that at every turn. Jesus claimed to be the creator. Tim Keller commenting on this said, this creates a great conundrum for anyone trying to understand this most influential figure in the history of the world. Jesus is one of the very few persons in history who founded a great world religion or who, like Plato or Aristotle, has set the course of human thought and life for centuries. Jesus is in that tiny select group. On the other hand, there have been a number of persons over the years who have implicitly, explicitly claimed to be the divine beings from other worlds. Many of them were demagogues. They were crazy. What is unique about Jesus is that he is the only member of the first set of persons who is also a member of the second. Every other religious leader in the history of humanity has said, this is the way to God. Jesus alone said, I am the way. In fact, I am God come to you, not the other way around. So what do we make of a guy who says the sort of things that Jesus said? And this is where C.S. Lewis's argument of liar, lunatic, or Lord is so helpful. And I've read this uh, portions of this to you guys before. Many of you know it, but... My guess is many of you haven't heard the full argument, or at least haven't read it in decades, if you have. So I'm going to actually read a longer portion of what C.S. Lewis talks about. Now, C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor. He didn't believe in God. He came to believe in God, and then ultimately in Jesus. And here's the argument that he makes. Among the Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he has always existed. He says he is coming to judge the world At the end of time now god in jewish understanding meant the being outside the world who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else and when you have grasped that you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered he goes on to say one part of the claim tends to slip past us unnoticed because we have heard it so often that we no longer see what it amounts to i mean the claim to forgive sins any sins Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. But What should we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Yet, yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured he unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned the person chiefly offended in all offenses this makes sense only if he really was the god whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin lewis brings it to the conclusion in these final two paragraphs i'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And yet today, what I most often find when I talk to people, when it comes to Jesus, there is some amount of indifference oh, yeah, you know, he's a good moral teacher, but that was 2,000 years ago, or I'm glad Christianity is good for you. Nobody who ever met Jesus responded to him that way. Everyone who met Jesus was either terrified of him and wanted him to go away quickly, they were angry at him and wanted to execute him, or they dropped everything to follow him and fell down to worship him. No one met Jesus and had, meh, Mild interest. Jesus invites us to look for ourselves, to look more closely. He says to those who are about to execute him in verse 32 I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? When somebody says, I am God, the next thing to do is say, Who is this person? That means you actually have to look a little closer. So I would invite you, if you've not done this, to read through one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, at least read through one of them, all the way through, in the course of a week. It'll take you about two hours. In the fall and all through next year, we're gonna be in a longer series on the Gospel of Luke, examining more deeply who this Jesus was. And if you are more of a reader, pick up N.T. Wright's book, Simply Jesus. It's an academic intellectual approach that's also accessible and a great way to think through who Jesus actually was claiming to be. Is Jesus really God? You know what gets in the way of looking for that evidence, of looking for Jesus? It's all the things that are built into us already. In the first century, in first century Judaism, They could not imagine a Messiah who was going to suffer and die. That was not a part of anything they could imagine. The Messiah had to be a victorious military king, not a humble crucified one. Today, our issue isn't a suffering Messiah. Our issue is a risen one. We cannot accept the divinity of Jesus not because we don't believe in God. And if you don't believe in God, I can't prove to you Jesus is God. You have to start with, is there a God? If you already believe in God, why Jesus might be God gets, it gets in the way of our way of thinking about ourselves. You see, if Jesus is actually God, then he gets to define God and not us. And most of us like to come up with a whole system of what we think God is like, and then we want Jesus to fit in with it. If Jesus is God, then he defines God and not us, and that's very unsettling. It means that we are no longer free to define good and bad as we choose. If Jesus is God, then we aren't God. And I would suggest, if Jesus isn't regularly challenging your life, your priorities, your politics, your values, at numerous places, then you probably don't know Jesus very well. If Jesus is God, then that same one who said, do not even look at a woman lustfully. How many times should you forgive an offender? Seventy times, seven times. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow me. That Jesus becomes our Lord and God and takes over everything everything from our child rearing to our love life to our grudges to what we eat and drink to our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, our bodies. None of it becomes ours to rule, it's His. And it means we are no longer ours. We are his. I find today people are not, they don't have a hard time with Jesus as their savior. A Jesus who died for their sins, forgives us of our our offenses, and offers us eternal life by grace. We like Jesus as savior. We don't like a risen Lord and God who stakes a claim on every aspect of our life. N.T. Wright sums this up. He says, by all means, people think, let Jesus be a soul doctor, making people feel better inside. Let him be a rescuer, snatching people away from this world to heaven. But don't let him tell us about a God who actually does things in the world. We might have to take that God seriously. He then goes on to suggest what's actually beneath our skepticism about Jesus being God. Skepticism is no more neutral or objective than faith. It has thrived in the post-enlightenment world, which didn't want God, or in many cases, anyone else either, to be king. Saying this, doesn't, of course, prove, saying this doesn't, of course, prove anything in itself. It just suggests that we keep an open mind and recognize that even our skepticism comes with its own agenda. It's hard to not doubt your doubts, but beneath our skepticism and doubts and our struggles with faith, are often other things besides the evidence that doesn't mount up. Examining Jesus is not easy because openness and humility are very difficult. The best question to start with is this. Not who is Jesus, but can I trust him? In John 10, 11, and 27, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is the kind of good shepherd I am. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Is Jesus God? Well, figure out if you can trust him. Not just is he a good shepherd, but is he yours? Let's pray. God, the question of your existence and of Jesus the man being God incarnate is not as easy as many believers think. And yet, that is the claim that you make. Give us eyes to see if that is true, the humility and earnestness to ask. And if it is true, reveal yourself as our God, as our King, as the one that we are called to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.